from Wakefield, it's the Nolan Car Night Show, starring Nolan, by enjoying Nolan's guest with Probe and Gregory to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. Those who know me know my, my, my love for the Beach Boys music. They know that <laughs> that's all I play in the car ride. Uh, they know that that can <laughs> get on others' nerves that I've seen a few times. And this is certainly another wonderful moment like this. I'm grateful and appreciative, as I said to him time and time again, from to take the time out. He is the one only, the very talented Probe and Gregory. Probe, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. That's, uh, that's, that's all we can say right now during these, these wild times, which I, I want to ask you, now that you're back out touring, you just were in Switzerland with Bobby Scoop, which I want to talk about, which I'll mention at some point, but mm-hmm. Ryan's tour back going out. You just did Al's stuff as well. What's it like for you now at this point of this whole wild times we're in compared to the beginning? You mean the the pandemic or, yeah. or wild times, meaning uh, being involved in sort of the Beach Boys peripheral world? <laughs> well, I guess both, but more specifically, the pandemic scene is that's sort of the... Yeah, the, the pandemic was very difficult for most musicians because for starters, you couldn't... Live music ceased. And yeah. even lessons were difficult because you can... Zoom works up to a point, but if you're trying to play with other, if you're trying to play with people and one in each city on their own device, there is a lag time and uh, it really gets in the way of, you know, of being on the beat and that sort of thing. So people seem to find various workarounds. I wasn't teaching, so I didn't have to worry about it that much. Um, but I know that, for instance, my, my brother, Rohan, who's a violin teacher in New Hampshire, found um, that he, he has a lot of clients in Boston area, um, and he it was welcomed very much the return to live in-person lessons where you yeah. could really like look at the person's hand sure. and say, no, just move this like that. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the frustrating thing that we, we, I think now, I'm sure your brother appreciates more the little things like that, that you were able to do over Zoom or during this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just, I'm glad that music and concerts are back because... I felt bad for people like yourself who aren't able to go out and do what they need to do in order to, you know, pay the bills and keep the lights on, keep the water going, as Billy Hinshaw used to right. say on his live shows. But <laughs> right. it's and as I, we said beforehand, you know, to be able to see Brian's show or to see Al's show and things, no, not necessarily, you know, back to full speed, but it, it's just it's a it's a great thing. I, I talked to you or just asked you about the the thing in Switzerland with Bobby's group with. Uh, Chris Farmer and Gary and Randall Kirsch and the whole, uh, whole rest of the gang. What was that like? Because, you know, that's over in there. And I, I know Bobby had mentioned how excited he was. I didn't know that there was a fandom over there. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how much. It's hard to say where pockets of Beach Boys fans are. Um, you know, we happen to have a lot in Sweden. Of course, the the UK is one of our biggest sure. markets. They we could probably sell out more halls there than even even in the United States, uh, you know, regardless of the fact that the Beach Boys, but just to talk about CSI for a, a, min- a minute, that was great to have a, a veritable who's who of yeah. touring, touring Beach Boys over the last 20 or more years uh, with those particular people, Bobby Figg, Chris Farmer, uh, Gary Griffin, uh, myself, Ed Carter elected not to come. Uh, and, uh, of course, Randell. Randell is my water brother. We we ended up going into the lake there in Lake Lucerne, which is snow melt. I don't think we lasted two minutes in that yeah. water. It was ice cold. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, besides the love for Brian's music, which I know yourself and many others in the group have very deeply, we, you know, we both grew up on the East Coast to some degree near the Atlantic Ocean. For you, though, what was what was the pull though towards the Beach Boys music scene as their sort of the West Coast life and all that fun jazz? Sure. I mean, in my case, I have an edge. I can't say an edge. It's a difference, a difference that happened in my background that I was what they call a faculty brat. My father was a college professor and he just went wherever the work was. And it just so happened that he was teaching at Stanford for a couple of years in Palo Alto, California. And I happened to be there for the summer of love. And that was, I also happened to be living in California when I got my first transistor radio about this big. It was like a, a, a deck of cards about that big, and you'd hold it up to your ear because it had a tiny speaker. This is before there were earphones, you know, and the year was 1965. I was eight years old, and California Girls came on, and that song blew my mind. 
my tiny mind. <laughs> so then, of course, the next year it was the big hit was Good Vibrations in '66. And after that, in 67, I remember Heroes and Villains being a big thing on the radio. At that point, we moved from California, but sort of the the scene was set. I, I knew which of the bands, like Jefferson Airplane, The Birds, The Beach Boys, these were California bands. Yeah. Um, even Arthur Lee and Love, who my, my parents used to play some of their records around the house. My parents were sort of forward-looking. They were kind of beatnik hippies, if you will. Anyway, um, so so I had this West Coast background, and then I moved to New Hampshire, where we'd been spending every summer anyway, what, ever since I was a kid. We'd been spending the whole summer in New Hampshire at, at the family place there, and we finally moved. My father got a job in the area, and um, so I carried this love of the Beach Boys with me to New Hampshire, and I didn't find too many other people that where I could share that yeah. with, so I just kept it, kind of kept it private. You know, I could talk about endless summer sure. you know ev everyone had that compilation yeah. but anything beyond that you know even if i just said you know god only knows people would say i don't think <laughs> i know that song <laughs> yeah well i know it darian had a while ago and i know that the, the story of you or you shared it with matt and greg coffee of how you met darian and he had that sm custom smile shirt on but right david beard had done an interview i think during the zombies tour that brian's group you guys did with the zombies it might have been and I think it was right. there where Darian, and I'm sure he said it in articles as well, where he got beat up for being a Beach Boys fan at the time that he found them. Because at the time they weren't, you know, super well loved as they were as years past and prior. Right. For the kids your age at that time, when you first found them, and then, you know, as the year sort of went on towards good vibrations, that stuff, what was the opinion of the Beach Boys for kids your age besides yourself? I mean, Literally, when if I'm talking about 1965, I, I think I mentioned California Girls to some other people. But at that time in the mid 60s, I think it was the slightly older kids, like the four. I was eight, and most of the kids that were like 12, 11, I'll say 11 and up, they were the ones that were sort of getting into music and watching, say, the Monkeys on the because sure. the TV TV show was on every week. You could see these guys doing songs and. You know, they, they were, of course, older than us, but not that much older. And they weren't as far away as, say, the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles were great, but yeah. they were from another country. They, yeah. were, they were English, and we didn't see them. They didn't. Eventually, they had a cartoon, but, like, they weren't in our faces the way that the monkeys were or that the Beach, were, the beach Boys seemed to be on the radio easily as much as the Beatles did. You know, I Get Around, Don't Worry Baby, uh, any of these songs that were, you know, you, even all summer long, sure. what, whatever it was, that something would come on the radio and you, you, you knew the sound of the Beach Boys because yeah. the vocals, the vocals were top notch, yeah. better really than anyone else, in my opinion. Sure. And so anyway, but, but for kids my age, you, you didn't really talk about the Beach Boys. And, you know, what was I in when I was eight? I was in third grade, I think. Um, I was one of the few kids I knew that had a transistor radio glued to my ear. <laughs> Now, you know, being that you've played with both Brian and the Beach Boys and then other acts with, with the Beach Boys, a Beach Boys-esque type of situation, you obviously have a talent as, as a musician. You have a skill that most don't have. You know, I was, as I like the joke, I joked with Gary and Bobby, and I think Chris, you know, I was a saxophone player for all of six seconds in middle school before I realized this wasn't for me. But for you to have the skill that you did, I'm sure at some point you knew that you were going to do this as a career to, to a certain extent. When did you realize that you had something different than other kids in terms of musical ability? Not when I was a kid. I was just one of the people in the band. Um, although, because I'd been in Palo Alto where they had forward looking, I mean, they were teaching Japanese in the elementary schools to the, uh, when, when I was there, I didn't happen to take the Japanese class, but it was available and they handed out band instruments in fourth grade, which when I finally moved in fifth grade to New Hampshire, um, they were just starting out with these plastic flutophones, these little recorders, doo, 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 you know, and so I already had a trumpet and I was playing it. So I had to just sort of play it in my own house. And um, I didn't think I was any better than the other kids. And in sixth grade, we were all given band instruments and, sure. you know, or, or I should say given the choice to choose or not. Um, but you know what? I, I didn't know that I was going to do a career in, in music. I did not know what I wanted to do. I knew I liked to read and I liked English. And I was even an English major in college, although I chose a college that had a really good conservatory, where, which while I was not in the conservatory, I took 
the preponderance of my classes. I took more music classes than I did in my own major, which was English, because I, you know, Oberlin Conservatory, where I went, it was, I should say Oberlin College, where I went, but the conservatory was, you know, you could take classes there. So I took electronic music and theory and all that sort of thing. Um, I think it was, when I graduated from college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So my, my old roommate had secretly taped me playing <laughs> guitar along with Steely Dan records and Frank Zappa and things that were o- things that were over my head that I couldn't really play, but I was doing my best my best to try to play them. Yeah. So um, anyway, he 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 taped this and sent it to Berklee School of Music in Boston as an audition tape, and also to a place in L in Hollywood called the GIT, the Guitar Institute of Technology, and I was accepted at both places. And I got these letters, and luckily my old roommate was had said, you might be getting some funny mail. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? So these things came, these acceptances came in the mail, and I was like, I didn't apply to this school. Why am I accepted? And he said, well, you told me you didn't know what you wanted to do. I'm sort of nudging you in the direction sure. of music because I think, I think, you know, I'm your friend, and I think that you, you have something. And I was like, huh, maybe, I, well, why not? I got accepted. Sure, I'll go. And since Berkeley was too close to New Hampshire, I didn't really want to be too yeah. close to my own home. I elected to go to California, and so I started there in 1980. And um, it was after I that was a one year program, and it was after that that um, and I didn't think again. I there were plenty of working bands in town, and you know uh, the, the Knack had just been signed with My Sharona, so everyone was thought, "Oh my God, I can get signed!" <laughs> yeah. So, um, but. I was just playing in bands, hoping to get signed, which actually didn't happen for 20 years. I played in two and three bands at a time, just original, you know, playing for gas money around town. And uh, eventually, by luck, I I happened upon some people that were eventually very helpful to me. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other story. Yeah, so right. I didn't I didn't know when I was a kid. I did not. Th- there was no music industry. There was no sure. You know, sure there were bands and the bands would tour, but not the way that bands tour now where it's like it's an accepted industry. There are trucks, sure. there are lights, there are amps. Everyone knows how it goes. The, 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 the crew goes ahead of time, sets up the gear. The band arrives. You do the sound check. It's a business. Yeah, but it didn't didn't used to be a business. Some of the people in the Grateful Dead were the first ones to make a portable sound system that could go on a truck from city to city and set up wherever in a field or using generators or in a in a venue. Um, You know, there there wasn't this whole, as I say, a business. Anyway, I'm enough on about that. No, no, no. No, I found it interesting because uh, when I had Gary on, he talked about and he said that on Beach Boys talk how he knew when he was younger that he wanted to play for the beach boys and that's what he did and he gets that and then you know you share your story and it's you know you have you know no idea that you want to be a musician and then you go you take that class at oberlin college and that music related class and then you go to the git did you did you realize that when you took that music class whether it was that specific electronic one that you found you're sort of calling that you know this could be what i do when i get older or was it still just not till GIT where you realize that this is what I'm doing. No, it was it was not until really after GIT when that that I began seeing that there were some people that were you know they would do wedding bands or what you would call on the East Coast GB general business uh, you know things where you play essentially for money, you, which yeah. is fine. I I mean I didn't have to be playing original music. I did choose that route of playing in bands, trying to get signed, and I always had other jobs on the side that would pay the rent, which is I was made sure to, because I didn't have any illusions. I saw yeah. people by me right and left falling mm-hmm. by the wayside that had moved out with, sold everything, come from wherever, Mich- Mich- Michigan. And then a year later, they're returning to Michigan and getting a bank job because mm-hmm. they couldn't get a paying music gig in Los Angeles, which admittedly, Los Angeles is a tough town. A lot of, me- sure. lot of you know, at that now, I think a lot of the orchestral people go a little further afield. They go to Czechoslovakia um, or places like that. But it used to be that L.A. was one of the top centers of, you know, film scoring, play on TVs, movies. Uh, you know, you, you have some really great players that have been playing for many, many years in L.A. And so that was tough trying to break into that. Like when I became a member of the union, I remember looking at the little union paper <laughs> and seeing at such and such a session for Star Wars. And you see the same names over and over that you saw at the other A-list movies. And 
every once in a while, you'd see someone that you knew that was a peer of yours that had broken into the system, that had a contractor use them, and they were, you know, had now made it into this upper echelon. And I never did that. I never made it into that. Uh, but nor did I really want to uh, either. I, I think I was, I was much more interested in the live music scene and the original music scene. And um, because I was making enough money at my little editors or part-time jobs to pay the rent, it didn't bother me too much. I wasn't reliant upon music to pay all my bills, which maybe I should have done that earlier. And I might've uh, met the people that I eventually met. I might've met them earlier. I don't know. You know, I, I just, I, I find it interesting because, you know, going to school and then going to a school specifically geared towards music and, you know, Charlie Watts, you know, rest in peace to Charlie. He had mentioned how he never had any musical training in, in an interview he's, he had done a while ago and how he wished he did that to learn, you know, the fundamentals and stuff. Do you think that with your experience going to the musical school that it sort of, I don't want to say propelled you farther, but sort of helped you advance a little further compared to other people starting out without that musical school experience? That's a tough issue because there are plenty of people that I run across in my various endeavors in music who do not read music. They can't talk theory, but they know the music in their head. If they hear something, they can play it right back at you. And generally these people are good with people. They're, you know, they're friendly. Sure. They, they know how to fit in to a team, which is one of the most important things of, to me about being in bands and being in music is knowing how to work with others and, and knowing when not to burn a bridge. For instance, I always tell young and upcoming mu musicians, whoever you're playing with, even if they seem like they suck right now, yeah. they may be better later or they may be in a position to help you later. So don't burn a bridge. Don't talk behind people's back. Don't assume that you know more than another person. You just know differently than another person. True. And, and again, down the line, if you're nice to everyone, the niceness comes back to you. It's like the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I have found over and over that that sort of attitude and that sort of behavior as a person on, especially on teams on whatever the team is doing, be it music or something else, that that stuff really is helpful and is of value down the line. Now, you know, I, and that, I can see that perfectly well. And uh, you're a vital piece to Brian's group. And uh, I'm sure that they all have their love and appreciation for you. Now, it, it, in my situation, you know, although where I'm from in the United States and they rave about it in California girls, but most people my age aren't Beach Boy fans or diehard fans, let alone music fans before 95. Even though, you know, they listen to the hits, they're not listening to, you know, maybe I don't know from the 85 album or Baby Blue or Love Surrounds Me. Right, and right, right. In, in your situation, though, you know, being that you were a fan of Smile and you, I'm sure, listened to all the, the unreleased material, describe to me, and I know you shared before, Describe to me that emotion that you felt when you saw Darian that famed night wearing that custom smile shirt. <laughs> yes, it's true. I had been listening, collecting as many fragments, usually on cassettes uh, that I either bought off of people or traded or were gifted or whatever. And that stuff from the, the smile stuff was so different and so unusual. And it was like it came from another planet. It really, really just boggled me it really it opened my eyes and so here is i'm at the club 88 in los angeles a place that's closed now not club 88 club lingerie excuse me in hollywood one of the places that i played the most in my life still even now in my 60s i probably have played more at wong's west and club lingerie in los angeles clubs anyway there's darian wearing a smile shirt and of course i knew the artwork i said i went up to him i said excuse me but where'd you get that shirt and he said I made it myself. I silk screened it. And so we started talking. And at the end of the evening, he, he offered to make me a shirt, which I still have, uh, <laughs> that, that original smile shirt. And we became friends. And um, eventually we started making music together. Um, but one of the first things that we did is we got together with this guy, Dominic Priori, who you may know because he wrote the first big book on smile called Look, Listen, Vibrate, Smile, um, which I think was one of the working titles of the album Dumb, he also called it dumb angel gazette which is the other working title for smile um 
and I, I edited that book, the, the first one that came out in, I forget, 84, five, something like that. Um, so Dominic and Darian and I got together at his place. I don't think Nick Walusko was there. He might, Nick, maybe Nick was there. Of course, he's not around to ask yeah. extremely sadly. Um, uh, but we, we ordered out for pizza and we, we just, we were there for hours and hours playing everything and, and saying, and listening to some of the stuff that's, that was likely from the comedy album. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that, the comedy album that would, he was working at with, with Hal Blaine. The, it was like a duo between Brian and Hal Blaine about a, a vegetable, like a farm stand. <laughs> and the George fell into his French horn is, is almost surely from those sessions and not really a smile track, as some people have said. Because, I mean, li if you listen to it, it's really out of, it's sort of out of character. It's really, you know, they're talking through their French horns and they're, they're it's, it's a comedy bit, you know, and, and it's, Smile is not really a comedy album. Maybe there, maybe Brian, maybe I'm wrong. And Brian ha always had a, a place on that. But I think this is one of the outtakes. And there's other things that you can hear. You can hear Hal um, sometimes in doing the bit with where Brian says, get that vegetable stand out of here. <laughs> and, and Hal Blaine with his voice says, what, what, I'm not doing. It's, it's, I'm, if you don't know them, I can find the bits and send them to you. But um, uh, anyway, all this about Smile um, you're asking about, well, it was, that was a big deal to me to meet someone that cared about smile as much as I did. I mean, there was a, a paper that doesn't exist anymore called the Los Angeles reader. And at one point I took out an ad in the paper. It was a, like a, it wasn't a quarter page or anything. It was just like a, you know, inch ad yeah. must've cost me all of 15 bucks. <laughs> and I said, dear Capitol records, please release smile. <laughs> this is important stuff. Everyone needs to hear this. <laughs> Um, so I think I've answered your question. No, no, yeah, no yeah, you answer it because, um, and I'm, I'm also curious, and maybe you sort of double, you, you'll double dip in this answer. But from that, when you saw him, and maybe it was when you saw the shirt first, or you went talked to him first after seeing it, did you think that after seeing him that your life in terms of music would change? I had no inkling, no inkling of what was going to happen with the Wonderments and the Brian Wilson band and our, the arc of our time to, together. Uh, no, I didn't. I just thought, here's another super fan. That's what yeah. I thought. <laughs> I'm curious, and this may be, you know, too far in advance or a little not connected to the same point, but do you, what, in your opinion, what do you think is the most underrated album in the Beach Boys catalog, if you could name one? Well, the people that don't really know the Beach Boys. Ah, uh, that's a hard one. I Sunflower is the first thing that springs to mind, but I also oh. think that some people don't give today. It's just desserts. Yeah. I mean, to me, sure, you can talk summer days, summer nights, but to me today was the bridge to Pet Sounds. And yeah. I mean, back in my mind, you can hear that's just that yeah. song alone is practically the ramp into Pet Sounds. The year is 99. You've been with the Wondermints for a few years before joining Brian's band. Playing with the Wondermints those early years before joining Brian's band, what was that like? Great. Um, I really liked the Wondermints. They, I sort of weaseled my way <laughs> into that band. I came to see a lot of their shows, and then I offered to guest on trumpet, which I did, and eventually I began playing guitar with them. And I was never a, a really full member. I was never a writing member the way that... Mikey and Nick and Darian were, but, um, uh, and we always seemed to have a sort of a, after Brian Kassan left, we had a sort of a, a floating bass chair, which I briefly was in, but uh, we've used a bunch of different people over the, over the years, although we seem to have settled on David Nolte, although I have to tell you the sad news, which you may not already know, which is that now that Nick has passed, there will be no more Wonderment shows. That's, that's the end mm. of the band. I mean, without Nick, they're they're yeah darian i'm sure would agree it's it's um it's not gonna happen but that was you know i really loved that band because we would sometimes do cover versions of songs and we would try to be as faithful as we could possibly yeah. could to them which held us in good stead when it finally came around to it. we were playing at a charity show for brian wilson and brian came to his own charity show <laughs> and in fact played at his own wow. charity show and he saw us do we did Surf's Up in which I sang the lead and I saw him in the audience and I was <laughs> I was out. I was so 
freaking nervous. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, a diamond necklace plate. <laughs> My voice was shaking. And, and we did uh, our prayer. And I think we did this whole world. Wow. Memory serves. So he saw us play and I guess he was impressed and, and remembered us. And about a year later, we were, we, we were invited to accompany him on a radio show that he needed to do that he needed a band for. So we did that. And, um, eventually we were, you know, got that call in spring of 99 to come out to St. Charles, Illinois, where Brian was living at the time to audition for the band. And Jeff Foskett was already there. Yeah. And I didn't know Jeff at all, but he was in the hotel room next to us. And, um, uh, Anyway, uh, but 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 how did what was it like to be in the Wonderments? The Wonderments were a, a spirited, original, joyous band that I was very proud to be able to help out as much as I did during the time that we were together. And the the records that I managed to do with them, I thought were I thought were really good. I'm just I'm sorry they didn't make a bigger splash in the sort of the larger, sure. you know, pop world like. We weren't. We were never trying to be jellyfish, but sure. I think that was something that was in people's minds. Just like if jellyfish can make it doing pop, maybe yeah. maybe our kind of pop could possibly get to be a national hit. I'm curious though. Also, you know, seeing as you know, you're still with Darren, you did the Wonderments, and then you, you're now with. You know, obviously, you've been playing with him in the Brian Wilson band. What's that like to see that? Because you know, he's a guy who is well knowledgeable in the Beach Boys stuff. I remember Mike. I think called him. No, no, it was. Paul who called him the secretary of the band for his, his knowledge of it. And uh, I'm sure he plays a big role in the group. So to see him and how he operates and see how he helps continue to preserve this music, I'm sure it's definitely inspiring. Yes. You know, one of the things about the Wonderments was that we never wanted to, like, even if we did what we considered to be a pretty good show, we never wanted to rest on our laurels. We were always trying to improve and trying to not be satisfied with what was just naturally happening, but trying to make it the best that it could possibly be. And that particular attitude served us in very good stead with Brian because, you know, there were other bands or other people that had played with Brian and not, I'm not slagging them or anything, and nor am I slagging the, the, the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys, I think, have gone through some different iterations with their live personnel. And I think that the current lineup they've really also stepped up their game and tried to make things as good as possible. Now, when I say this, I'm taking it, saying this in the context of there was a time, like when I first moved to California, my, the friends that I met that like one of my friends, Tim Horgan loaned me a copy of Surf's Up because I'd never heard of it, that album. He said, you got to hear this record. And here I was listening to Till I Die and Surf's Up. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. But people were telling me, don't go to see the live Beach Boys. They're sort of, they're rough around the edges. It's sort of sloppy. They're yeah. a little lazy. You'll do, be you'll do better just listening to the records and, you know, just stay with that. And so as a result, in all through the 80s and most of the 90s, I never saw the Beach Boys wow. live. And, and I don't, I can't swear that, you know, that they were sloppy or lazy, but I was hearing this from some of my fellow fans, which was stupid. Yeah. I, and I, I'm really... I'm, I regret that I ever listened to those people in the first place. I, I feel bad. I, you know, I, I never got to see Dennis play. I never got to see yeah. Carl play yeah. by the time that I finally got, he had just died by the time I first saw the, 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 the beach boys anyway. Um, so, so he, uh, probably of the people that I know, he, Nick and I cared about the music. It, it all, it just affected us deeply more than most people that we knew. And so we were, we were really into making the legacy of Brian be something that he could be proud of, that it wouldn't be just falling back on some generic version or, or a different version. Like, um, you know, we were the ones that, that really wanted to do Caroline No in its original form. And there were some other parties who I won't name that wanted to do some other kind of groove that sounded more modern and maybe more radio friendly. Yeah. Uh, we objected to that. Yeah. And, almost put our job in jeopardy doing so. <laughs> yeah. But that's a whole other story that I sure, probably yeah. under, under a non-disclosure agreement, I'm probably under contract not to tell of those course, stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, suffice it to say that, yeah, that it really helps to, to, if we, you know, and all of us in the band now, I think in the Brian band, we've all, you know, sort of come around and uh, even if, uh, if they call some tune that doesn't sound like it's much like drive in, 
Uh, Brian used to love that song. We did it for a couple of years, and we haven't done it for a while. But or Monster Mash. Yeah. Brian likes to do Monster Mash. One time we even did it twice. We did it in <laughs> I think it was in Barcelona at a festival. We opened with Monster Mash, and at the end of the sh of this set, Brian said, "Hey, let's do Monster Mash again." So we did. <laughs> Well, I know there's a video out there, and I think it's on Brian's YouTube channel where you guys are doing rehearsals and you're doing Monster Mash. That might have been 2008 or whenever that was. But and that's another thing you talk about. You know, everyone in the group really pre helping preserve and appreciate and showing love and respect and all that jazz to Brian his music. And I, you know, I see that at the concerts, and I believe it was the one I went to by myself. And Brian had said, and the best singer in the world, Darian. And uh, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure Brian's complimented him before, and he complimented um, Matt Jardine, who him in itself is an amazing musician. But right. and they've heard that before. But I think that really shows the trust that Brian has in the guys who he plays with, especially when you see that they've been there since. The beginning and i'm just you know i love when darian does um i can hear music and darling two carl songs which you know i can hear music a very hard song to sing and for, yes for darian to do it is, <clears throat> is is a marvelous thing and he's he, he's i'm sure he's a very great person lord i want to talk about the work that you've done with brian and his solo stuff excluding the the recent piano album you've been on all of his solo stuff i sense you know correct me if i'm wrong since getting in over my head yeah i Let's see. Was there anything before that? Ninety nine. There was not really. There was there like was live at the Roxy, but that wasn't any, anything. But there were a couple of songs. What, wasn't there a, a new song on the Live at the Roxy record? Um, is it Love or something like that? I'm trying to remember. It's so long ago. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, there one or two tracks would appear, but I think maybe Getting on Over My Head was the first real album of new or when you say new i mean i think there was some paley bryan stuff that had been there yeah. um like saturday morning in the city was uh was an older one but um uh yeah i mean it's it's been wonderful to be part of this i'll sure. i will i'll give you an anecdote from that album um i think a lot of people that work with brian at some point in their dealings with him they have an inkling that maybe they have an idea for the song that might be better and what Brian has in his mind, but you don't know what Brian has in his mind because exactly. he, you haven't you haven't heard it all yet. So uh, this happened to me. I forget what song it was, but I he said, "Go get your mel mel melodica, which is like a little one rank of accordion with like a little breathing tube." I mean, sounds like a harmonica a little bit. Anyway, so I got it out, and he said, "Play su such and such," and he sang a certain line, and I thought to myself, "Ooh, that's that doesn't really fit there." That's kind of, I don't know, I won't call it ugly, but it's not really <laughs> what I would have thought of Brian would come up with. But I did as he wa wanted. Of course, yeah. And then as I, as I recorded, I thought to myself, huh, I think this other line that just came to me might be better. So I said, hey, Brian, I, 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 I just did this line. What about this? What if I did this there? And then I played my idea. And um, he said, huh, that's okay, but you know, let's stick with my idea. I said, <laughs> fine. So I, you know, I put it down later. I no, I just I forgot about it. And then later on, when I heard the whole song with everything that was in there, my idea wouldn't have worked at all with the harmonies, yeah. the, the vocal harmonies and the other instruments that he had in his head. So I I think this happened to Carol Kay too. I I um she heard she was asked to play something and said, I don't know if that's gonna work. He said, It'll work. <laughs> It'll work. And then later on, of course, it did perfectly, and whatever she had in mind would not have worked because she didn't yeah. know what, what things Brian was a, in the future going to put on over your part. <laughs> well, I, the Gary had mentioned something of that went back when he lived in California in his home studio and Brian came over. I don't know which album Gary said it was, but he said, I'm going to come over and I sing vocals and I'm going to do guitar and I'm going to do keyboards. It's going to take 45 minutes. And lo and behold, it all worked out and it all worked. And it's an amazing experience, I'm sure, for you, especially to be from that getting in over my head and if you had done stuff prior with Brian to then the the songs, the the handful of songs that were for the documentary and then no peer pressure. And that, you know, speaking of, of both of those two, do you have a favorite song from the documentary if you've seen it fully and then the album No Peer Pressure, which wasn't, you know, a separate thing? Um, oh, boy, what was my favorite song on No Peer Pressure? Might have been the um, what was that? I'm spacing the titles now. The the um, 
sailing sailing away what was that yeah that was yeah that was one because i know was was that the name sailing away I've, i'm having a brain because i know because i know brian did the you know concert with friends and he had mm -hmm. some of those people out there and he blondie was there but i think mm -hmm. sail away or sailing away something of that nature wow I, I i'm spacing on it but that that one yeah i sound yeah. like a big fan i am i don't even know the names of the songs no no yeah no you uh, uh yeah on that one and then when you by the documentary you you're you're not talking about of course love and mercy you mean long promised road yeah the, one, yeah, the, the new one most recent one yeah um uh i don't know how to favorite on there i mean we we redid uh feel flows that i i liked i mean i sort of like the the it was an older tune, I think, from maybe even the Paley days. Um, rock and roll, rock yeah. and roll, rock and roll. Very basic. As um, you know, when I think when Brian first came up with the idea about five or six years ago, doing a rock and roll album, which I think he's, I think he still hasn't written all the songs for that. But some of them are these. Yeah. I didn't realize he did tell us it was going to be fifties, like Chuck Berry. Right. You know, da 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 da. So we we knew that that was the sort of the vibe of it coming up. Um, but uh, you know he 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 has, his musical mind is not like yours and mine. He thinks in his own original sure. way, and it, there's there's not any way to second guess him or know what is going to come out of him. Like sometimes he'll be in the old days when he was would play um, piano in the dressing room more, which he doesn't really do much now anymore. I mean, I'm not sure what's really behind that, but he used to get a lot more joy out of playing the keyboard. Like before the show, he would be in his room playing the piano, which is always, we'd always, you know, we wouldn't want to be hanging in the doorway looking in, yeah. but but um, he came up with some good stuff he, he, there. Just like even ideas would come to him in the dressing room. There was a song that I don't think ever has been released called Path of Life wow. that we did little snippets of at live shows about maybe 10 years ago or less. Um, and uh, hopefully that we'll all see the light of day. These Anyway... You know, Brian has such an original mind. And yeah. I mean, fans sometimes send me demos or songs that I've never heard of from the 60s. I mean, I consider myself, a, a, I'm not a completist. I don't have a giant collection. Sure. But I know a bunch of his songs. And every, at least twice a year, I hear some new thing <laughs> from Brian that I've never heard. That I've never heard that just was a, from a, a little thing that he threw down in 1971 or, or 77 from an outtake from Love You or something. Yeah. Who knew? I didn't know. He, he's he's an almost endless fount of creativity, yes. which is it, he's it's slowed down a little bit in sure. modern times, but he still got it. Yeah. Well, it's just it's it's unbelievable. I think, and you know, you have other bands, you know, out there and artists who have, you know, when they put out albums, not everything makes the cut, and there's stuff you that may never see the light of day. But there's just so much that they put together with Brian solo wise or with the Beach Boys that you'll never hear, and when you hear it, it's you know. Unbelievable. I, I know on the, the Feel Flows box set, um, was it I Need a Friend that was just the keyboards or piano, and there's a Dennis vocal on it that, you know, I've listened to on YouTube, and mm. it's so, you know, powerful, and so, but that it, it speaks to the, the Beach Boys world and the aura that they create, and like Brian, just so, the creative, creative ability that he has to have everything in his head and knows that that's what it's going to be like. Is unbelievable. I, I still marvel at my dad when I told him that he wrote Surfer Girl at 19 and had this song in his car driving home. It's like, how the hell do you? They, I can't do that. I mean, I'm not musically talented at all. I'm just a, I'm a hack of a shower singer. But it, it's just it's, <laughs> it's 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 unbelievable. But God bless him, and hopefully hopefully that rock and roll album comes out. I'd I'd love to hear it, and we'll see. Now in 2012. A big event happened. It was a big year for the Beach Boys, or 2013, for, for the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson, and I'm sure the rest of the people who partake put, uh, partook in that tour, and it was the 50th anniversary. Now, seeing as you liked the Beach Boys growing up, you played on that tour, did you ever think in the slightest way that you'd ever had the opportunity to play with the Beach Boys like you did? No. I, I never thought that there would be a reunion because there always seemed to be some sort of a disagreement between the principal people. Um, sure. And there was, didn't seem like there was any way to solve that. But um, I think, I think it was Joe Thomas, Brian's pr producer who originally floated the idea and, and even made, 
I don't know if he threw some money at the, the problem or whatever, but he got people to talk to one another. And he's a good businessman and he set up the tour and I believe he made his money back. Yeah. So, and, and Brian's con, con, proviso, I'll call it, for um, participating was that he wanted as many of us in his own yeah. band to be there as possible. And of course, Mike wanted some of his people. Yeah. Some of them ended up on stage like Scott Totten and other people and John Cousel and other people ended up um, helping the, like being stage manager or tour manager, like Jimmy Bonholm, who's the keyboard player oh, yeah, in the yeah. Beach Boys ended up on the tour. And some other people from Mike's organization came and were part of the business end. Um, that was an amazing tour. Uh, we started out doing a regular set, but I, I think, I can't remember if this is among your questions, but the first day I came to the rehearsal, and there's Al, yeah. and there's Mike, and there's Bruce, who, you know, I mean, you, may he may not be an original, original member, sure. come on, 65, yeah. he's, er he's earned his yeah. stripes. So, and hearing that sound, the sound of the, of the uh, you know, of course there's no Dennis and Carl, but David Marks was there, and, yeah. but, but all their voices, like our hair just raised up on the back of my neck, I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, that sound, like no matter how well we think we sing, and I'm, we don't think we sing well in the Brian band, because I say we're always, you know, trying to improve ourselves where sure. we can. But we will, no matter how we sing, we will never sound <laughs> like that, like yeah. those people, those Beach Boys, that harmony of Mike and Al and, and Brian and Bruce. Yeah. It was just heavenly, heavenly. It blew my mind. I was so happy to be part of that tour. And by the end of the tour, we were doing essentially two shows. I think we did, was it 64 songs oh, in our final gosh. show? It was like a two and a half hour show. We could barely talk afterward. <laughs> we had sung so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to ask uh, ask you about that tour because that, uh, I'm sure that's an unbelievable thing to say to yourself. Damn, how the heck did I was I part of this? And I, I want to ask you, that, uh, well, maybe in this sort of way, I guess I can ask you, but there's a song that they sang on the Corona Passions album, All This Is That, and they performed that there. And then they had the children come on to play with that, play on that album. And I know mm -hmm. Brian had performed Carl's portion of it with um, Carl's son, uh, Jonah. Uh, yeah, I believe, no. Or is it Justin? I, you know, I can't remember. I, I think it was Justin. Because... One of them, one of them is on the the um, add some music to your day. New thing that David Beer had done. I think it was Justin. But for you to experience that <clears> song, where it's got a lot of layers and it's got a lot of harmony on it, and it could be for any song, is that a moment where you're just like taking back and you just have to look it in while you're still playing on there? Sure. I remember that I on that tour there was because we were ha we were juggling both the um, Wonderments, not, excuse me, the Brian Wilson drummer Mike D'Amico. And John Cousel would take turns on drums. And when Cousel was on drums, then Mike would be on bass. Because okay. he's a good, Mike D'Amico happens to be an excellent multi instrumentalist on even on gu guitars, which you would never know, but it's true. Anyway, uh, when, when uh, Mike was on drums, then I was on bass. And I remember I played bass on All This Is That. And yeah, the, the layering and the parts of that, we were very fortunate to have a band big enough that we could yeah. cover all the vocal parts. And in most cases, we could double most of the vocal parts. Some song like Heroes and Villains actually has five or six discrete vocal parts. Wow. So that's a little difficult to double everything with that. Um, and some of the smile stuff was the same. There were there were so many things going on in, say, Cabin Essence that we just had to let single people do one line because there wasn't a there wasn't enough uh, manpower to just do it sure. but anyway all but a song like all this is that with all the layers it sounded beautiful and of course i i, I it's a great song and you know I, I i love carl's vocal on the yeah. original and even though we didn't have that on the reunion tour the reunion tour was a lot of fun and i was very honored to be part of sure. that band especially when i think i have said this in maybe other interviews when i was 10 years old my favorite bands in the world in this order because yeah. of the t because of the tv show the monkeys were number one okay. the, Be the beatles were number two the beach boys were number three and the birds were number four yeah now it just so happened that latterly in 2012 i was asked to tour with the monkeys although they then added christian nesmith mike's son and coco dolan's mickey's sister so the budget for me was gone so it didn't end up happening but i was asked I was asked yeah, in 2012 yeah. to tour with the monkeys. So if I could have played with two, 
of my favorite bands in the world yeah. in one year, my head would have exploded. Yeah. <laughs> and later on, I did yeah. get the tour with the Monkees yeah. in 2019, and I was very fortunate enough to play at their final show at the Greek Theater yeah. uh, just this last year. And then, unfortunately, Mike Nesmith passed away, and Mickey is left on to soldier on as, and he will. He's he's a he's a trooper. Mickey Dolans is. <laughs> Well, and then give him a lot of credit, similar to, you know, the current itineration of the Beach Boys, Mike and Bruce, to carry on the legacy of the Beach Boys. To, and I know uh, Mickey was just on the, the Beach Boys cruise that Mike and uh, Bruce and that group did recently That's right. That's right. For, for a few days. I want to ask you about the tour, a specific question. You know, I know it was, you know, you're saying songs from a few songs from each album over this um, 50 years at that point. Was there a song that you hoped maybe, and that may be a difficult question because there's so many songs, but was there a song you wished that you got to play on that, that, that tour that you, you guys didn't end up playing? You know, it's funny. I can't, at this point, I can't remember if we did it or not. I think we did not do a song that we tried with Brian and we never, we were always dissatisfied with the, the sound of the vocals also, because they're long, long-held notes. I'm referring to Warmth of the Sun. Okay. Warmth of the Sun is one of those tunes where if you don't nail it, it it's it's lacking. And sure. we weren't nailing it. In the same way that in the, with the Brian Band, we used to do Melt Away. And then eventually, not too far into its life, we retired it because it wasn't sounding up to snuff. And it needed to be great. And it wasn't great. Um as, it's funny, you know, the, there's one song that hardly any band, be it Beach Boy Tribute Band or the Beach Boys, I don't know about the, if uh, Mike and Bruce have done this song, but Girls on the Beach is a song yeah. that I really, I really like and no one ever seems to do. I don't know why they don't do it. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Girls on the Beach for the 12, uh, 50th anniversary you want to play. Is there a song, and I asked Gary this, I think, that you don't play with Brian's group or maybe haven't in a while that you wish you, you guys would play again or play for the first time? With Brian's group, because we've, we've done a lot. The, the amazing thing about Brian is that I've been in the band 23 years and I'm not even sure that we've played every hit. <laughs> <laughs> There's some songs that were, you know, somewhat, maybe they only got into the top hundred. Uh, but um, I'm trying to think of what, what song haven't we done that I would love to do. For a long time, it was, it was, um, cool water okay but 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 we've done i don't know i mean we we've done a lot of different things with with brian let me let me think yeah. about that for a minute i didn't see that on the list of that you had sent me of the questions prior i'd be ready with an answer um just cast my mind about my mind about well i know a song that i think maybe al sang it in the original i think it's off the 85 album the, the 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 Stevie Wonder track. Oh, I do. Yes, I do I, love you. Yes, I love that. Now the thing is, here's the thing. That's that is a Stevie Wonder song. Yes. I'm pretty sure he's playing drums on it. The, yeah. the, the the melody and the chord changes are absolutely Stevie. Yeah. So it's not that it's not that Beach Boysiest song. Sure. But because of that, I would like to hear the Beach Boys do it live. But it has a sort of. Um, well, it doesn't go that high. I do love you. Yeah. I do love you. Was that Al? I think it was yeah, Al. On it was there. Al and Carl. I think Carl sang. I think the main part of it, but Al was on there. Um, but that, I know Steve Levine, who was the engineer for that album. He had. I, met, I he think had, he was. He produced also. Yeah, he had mentioned in an interview how I, uh, Stevie was writing or putting together that song, and the Beach Boys needed stuff or. I think they were recording and then they played it and they were there, but I know he's playing the drum beat or whatever the correct name for that instrument is, but that is that. And maybe I don't know is another song that's complete rock and roll esque song that I don't, I won't see, I don't won't see the beach boys or Brian ever play it. No, cross my fingers. Mm -hmm. But in that song, you know, I don't know if you've listened to it recently, but there's a guitar riff in there that is a, a total Blondie Chaplin type of thing. And, <laughs> When I saw it, speaking of Blondie, this time when I took him to see you guys when you did that fall tour, my dad was in a whole nother world. And when I told him that Blondie had played with the Rolling Stones, he said, oh, that 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 makes sense because Blondie's a completely different cat than um, Brian or any of the other right. um, main members. I want to end these last handful of questions before the, the final segment of, of the, the Al stuff, the Al solo tour and the CSI stuff that you just did. 
you know, you've toured with some other, you know, Beach Boy players or members in Al's group or with CSI. What's mm-hmm. that like to not only do Al solo stuff, but then the stuff with California Surfing with Bobby? Um, well, I, I was at the, with the Al thing, you know, he has different formats that he tours on. He, the most common one when he goes out is the, the, the trio of Al, Matt, and um, in this case, it's Debbie Cher is the keyboard player who is, uh, has, you know, subbed in with the Brian band before. He's a great keyboard player. And it used to be a guy named Jeff Allen Ross, who was a, you know, a famous guy for hire who had been in bad a touring version of bad finger and is the musical director for peter asher and i think right. denny lane now anyway so it's sort of a sometimes there's a different person in as the as the third person and then there's the larger band the friends and family which doesn't play very often i think their last tour was about 10 years ago um and that uh is with carney and wendy of course and um, it should have been Rob Bonfilio, Carney's husband, on guitar, but he had other uh, obligations at the time. So he asked if I wouldn't mind subbing for him, which I which I did sub for him on this last tour, which was great. And unfortunately, through various bad luck, we had more shows booked than we actually ended up playing, which is too bad because it was a really fun show. Yeah. And one the the last night, I think, was it the last night in New York City? Someone in the audience just called out. California Saga. Now, we'd never so much as rehearsed it. We played it. <laughs> I knew it. Matt knew it. Al knew it. And Bobby fell in because he knew it from the old days on drums. Yeah. And um, we just, uh, we we plowed through and did it as well as we could. I th- actually thought it sounded pretty good. Well, I like it because um, I, I went to see it in, oh, in Connecticut. I'm trying to think of where it was in Connecticut. Um it was the Wall Street Theater in Connecticut. I'm trying to think of where that oh, is. Oh, you were at that show. Okay. Yeah, and I, that was that show. And I have a funny story from that, but I, I like that because it was it, it's different from Brian's group because I feel like it's so, and correct me if I'm wrong again, but it's a more, I don't want to say subdued or quiet environment, but it's a little, it, it's a little bit more mellow and it's not as rock and roll and as, as you know, when Blondie comes on, he's going crazy and he's- Right. And this, is, this, this is a reflection of, of Al's personal, personality because yes. because al is a more sort of gentle friendly guy and not that brian isn't either but somehow when the sets are put together like they, they try to do dance numbers to you know get the audience going or, yeah. or something and al's less into that and and there's not really a place for you know guitar histrionics shall i yeah. say but on that tour you also played with ed carter who besides mike kowalski if those people know their Beach Boys history, Ed, Ed Carter was one of the first touring members of the Beach Boys in the late 60s. That's right. He goes back to 68. Yes. He was there for 30 years, if almost. What's that like for you to play with someone like Ed Carter in that group? So, yeah. So, so, so California Surf Incorporated is made up of ex-touring Beach Boys. Um, you know, Randall Kirsch, uh, it, as it turns out. And some of the shows were attended by Gary Griffin and Chris Farmer. Uh, myself, Ed, Ed Carter is a really wonderful guy. I mean, he's so sort of quiet and rock solid. He, you know, he played bass with the Beach Boys, but he's really a guitar player. I don't know if you know, but that he jammed with Jimi Hendrix. Really? Yes. And he, he, he has, he knows a lot of people, Ed does. And he generally teaches these days. He's living up in Portland, Oregon, but, um, when you start doing like salsa stuff, he's all over that. He does all that. He's a, he's a really fine gu- guitar player and a swell human being. That's a lot of people call, I think even Al calls him smiling yeah. Ed Carter. <laughs> he's always, he's always smiling. I have the uh, Nebworth concert, the famous concert on DVD and he's smiling on there. And uh, <laughs> it, which that in itself is a great concert. You know, although you you play a menagerie of instruments, I know Paul always likes to say. Uh, and next we have, next next we have Proven Gregory. He played the trombone just for this concert, and <laughs> which is not really true. Yeah, <laughs> but it makes it makes it feel like it's it's great. It mean it, it means a, a whole heck of a lot. Um, but for you, what's that like though when you're playing all those instruments? So I'm sure it's very hard. And I know Paul plays a lot, and I know Richie Canada when he was there, he played. You know. Two different types of instruments, but for you, when you're playing all these instruments, what's what, what's that like during the Brian Wilson shows? Well, I'm just part of the team, 
I'm trying, I'm trying to fit in and make the best sound that we can possibly make. And if that means I'm on banjo, that's fine. If it's, if I'm on theremin, I well or tannerin as we have that we're playing the uh, copy of the original instrument then that's fine. Also to be blunt, if that means that I don't get to sing on a certain thing, cause it sounds better that way. I, I'm fine with that. Yeah. When I was when I was first in the band, it bugged me if I didn't get to sing, and I thought there was maybe something that my voice would fit in best. But I've learned to put my ego aside and just say, "It's about the music. It's not about me." Sure. People didn't people didn't come to see me. <laughs> they came to see you know the Beach Boys or Brian Wilson or whoever they want. To, and, and and when they get a really good sonic experience, if that means that I wasn't playing or I was only playing tambourine, then I'm happy with that. If they if sure. if that's what it takes. For you, you know, you've played, you know, whether it's with Brian or your experiences with the Beach Boys for the 50th anniversary tour, whatever else has been, um, and I'm sure I know the the answer is similar to what I'm going to say, but it's been worth it, I'm sure, or more than what you oh, ever thought. Oh, more than worth it. As I say, I am honored to be part of this band. If I wasn't in the band, I would be in the front row because I'm such a fan, and they, and these everyone does it right. They 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 do what they're asked or do what is they're called upon to do. With uh, with joy in their heart and with the, and with the the best that they can bring, and I'm so blessed to be part of a, a team in which that is so. So yeah, I just feel like it, it. I just got so lucky because you know for 20 years I tried to get signed in bands and tried to make any money at music, and I, I I wasn't. And it would bother me to see. I would go and see bands. They'd get pick of the week in in the L.A. Weekly. <laughs> I'd see some club band, and they'd be appearing in diapers. That was their gimmick or their, but there were never any songs yeah. or any vibe. Rarely was there something that sort of stood out to me. And it wasn't me being sour grapes. I really, I wanted to like these bands. Yeah. There was nothing there. <laughs> and so finally I started writing to the papers like, I'm sorry, but this is not pick of the week. You, you can't, the, uh, the, I think these are your friends. Yeah. You just, you're, it's, this is all like a uh, nepotism. And yeah. you're, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, hopefully I don't get in trouble for using the song title for, for this uh, this segment I'll do before I take your time. And, you know, I, like I've said before, you know, the time you've taken out of your day to do this, it it, it means a lot. But this, this segment I like to call All This Is That off the Beach Boys name. In this segment, I threw a few hypothetical things out there and you choose either this or that. So are you ready, Probin? I'm ready. I'm ready. So, you know, Coming up is the 60th anniversary. So for you, would you rather see a holographic Dennis and Carl with the living members of the Beach Boys or what they did for the 50th tour? You mean with a, by, yeah, I probably wouldn't want a hologram, but I wouldn't mind them showing films. Like in the 50th tour, when we did Forever, Dennis actually sang the vocal and yeah. we, we, we went along with the vocal. There was a click track, I believe, was created around that because it drifted a little bit. And um, if I remember right, it was God Only Knows for Carl, yes. although maybe maybe it was a different song. But um, I I liked that. Holograms? Anyway, Not what they do for Roy Everson? You wouldn't want to see that? Or Elvis? I mean, there's the ABBA is about to do that, aren't yeah. they? ABBA is about to do a big yeah. hologram show. If it's at a special theater and you know it's an all-hologram show, that's fine. Okay. But as part of a 60th reunion show... Yeah. My personal feeling is that I would rather do it a little bit more old school and show the films. It, it has, to me, it there's there's too much razzle dazzle and modern yeah. um, modernity about the hologram, and there's there's a little more emotional impact yeah. with the. That's just that again. You're asking that, so there's my answer. <laughs> no, no, I agree with that, and it definitely was powerful. You know, when I've seen YouTube clips of that, and when they did that for, I know when they, I, I believe it was when they went, when you guys went overseas to Japan and they recorded something live, or maybe it was the live album from that was over there, but that was very powerful. Now, seeing that, you know, also speaking of that and how they released 50th anniversary of some of the hits from over the last 50 years, the 60th anniversary, mm -hmm. hopefully they release something similar to that. Would you rather see some new material, like That's Why God Made the Radio, or something where they have a good chunk of unheard stuff from each period with their classics as well? Hmm, that's a tough one because, for instance, I never hear that song anymore. That's why God made the radio. And yeah. I loved that track. Yeah. That was my favorite. That was my favorite track on the record. Um, I guess I'd sort of like to hear the modern stuff, even though my heart and my initial hook into the Beach Boys was on the early 
stuff. But I mean, at this point, there aren't that many outtakes of things from pre-67 mm. that I don't know. Yeah. I mean, after that time, it gets a little fuzzy and there could be things from all sorts of different yeah. studios, brother and otherwise, that, that um, have maybe even not now seen the light of day. Although there are people who have sought, you know, have gone into the vaults, yeah. Alan, Alan Boyd and Mark Lynette and tried yeah. to unearth what they could. There's another song from That's Why God Made the Radio, Pacific uh, Pacific Coast Highway, I believe is what the name of it is, on that album. Mm. They all they all harmonize at the beginning of it, and it's a, a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I know they did it at the Grammy tour where they did you know a few songs, and that kind of was the precursor to the 50th anniversary. Would you right. like to, Would you like to see a decent sized tour or a stop here and there and exhibit type of thing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where they commemorate them and what they've done? Oh, maybe I'm not familiar with this. You're saying the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does something where they they well, go I, to different cities. With well, the... I, well, I'm just I'm just saying like if they did something like that where they had they did a few stops here and there and then they had something like that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where they you know have this presentation or a documentary whatever it may be instead of a big world tour. Oh, I think that I would like if it was me as a fan, I would rather have things like stopping at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or or even doing like a an occasional Q and A where you just have them out on stage instead yeah. of that night doing a show, just have like an evening with the beach boys where they take, um, you know, questions from the audience. Of course they'd have to be pre-screened because there'd yeah. be some doofus that would say something po- either politically not right, yeah. you know, that would p- make someone angry in the organization. We don't want that. But as long yeah. as it was pre-screened, that's what I would prefer. I mean, yeah. nothing against it. I, I will say from a performing pr- perspective, it does get tough doing the things that Mike and Bruce do. Mike and Bruce go out a lot. Yes. Brian Wilson goes out some. Like I, I think the longest tour I ever did was the, that Beach Boys tour. We were out for six months. Yeah. I my I just had a child. I mean, my wife was going to kill me. <laughs> I was only hoping I was only home a couple of days a month. Um, and if if that had been offered to do the next year, I would have had to decline. As much as I would have liked to have done it. Yeah. I, that there's just too many shows. True. So Mike, Mike and Bruce, they, they keep up a real, um, a full calendar. Uh, and so sometimes that gets difficult from the, the backing musicians perspective, because we have families and obligations or, you know, uh, things, life events happen. Yeah. People pass away. Uh, you want to be at your father's funeral and not on tour with, with the beach boys. But, uh, so with that in mind, I think I would rather have it broken up with the smaller chunks or and and these, as as I say, not just show after show to show, yeah. but keeping it fresh with like a, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or a Q&A and that sort of thing. Well, and this may be sort of a redundant question, the next one then of, of this segment, the second to last one. Would you like to see it where it's just the main members at, if they did something at like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or a Grammys type of thing? Or would you like to see a situation where they have, it's a one night or two night thing where they have the main guys, but then guys who have played with them over the years come and help support them that are, you know, still alive. Oh, I think that that would, that, that ladder that you just mentioned, having other former members or touring members who happen to be in the area or could be (laughs) prevailed upon to come down for that night. I think that would be great because I, I think that, um, the, the, the principals have had, you know, they've been on a lot of TV shows and they've been interviewed a lot and answered a lot of questions. But I think that the, the real diehard fans maybe have some questions for the Mike Kowalskis of the yeah. world, you know, that would, that <laughs> or, would the Bo- or the Bobby Figs of the world. Yes, the Bobby Figs or the Charles Lloyds or the Carly Munoz. Exactly, of- Carly Munoz. Or- I would love to see that. Or Ricky Fatar. Um, I don't know if you could, right. because I had seen James Taylor in Providence, Rhode Island a few years ago on his, the last date of his tour. And I know Ricky plays with Bonnie Raitt and her, her band, so that would be yes. great to um, see him because he was a focal point or a big point in the right. He, he, you know, the, there's been a couple of times that Bonnie's been in the town that we're at, and um, Ricky has sat in with us on a couple of occasions with the Brian Wilson band, which is always fun. He's well, a great guy. Well, didn't he? Wasn't he on the No Pre Pressure album? Uh, for maybe a song or something like that. Maybe he was. I know that he was definitely part of the um, soundstage special yeah. we did where some of the no pitch pressure stuff was done. That might he have was, was, yeah, like Hold On Dear Brother. And um, that was one in particular I remembered he was on, probably on Sail on Sailor, uh, you know, re, re, reliving the, that 
that time when they were, you know, the, in the early seventies time when Ricky and Blondie were in the band at the same time from yeah. the flame. Yeah. Now, now I, I know, you know, we, we mentioned this earlier about the rock and roll stuff that Brian was possibly going in. Obviously, you know, you know more than me, so I'm, I, we don't need per- examples and we don't need to go into it deeply because I don't want to get you in trouble or myself. But if you had the option, would you like to see new Brian solo material or solo uh, solo album, but it was covers of rock and roll stuff? It depends how... <laughs> it kind of depends. I wouldn't mind seeing covers of songs that were written by other people as long as Brian was engaged and had original ideas. And I think he's slowed down a bit in recent years, and the original ideas part of it is is not as prevalent as it once was. I'm thinking, in the, for example, of Sloop, Sloop John B., which was brought by Al to the group in a very sim, sort of, I won't say simplistic, but plain and unadorned Kingston Trio version. And then yeah. Brian did his magic and had all these True. original ideas and made it into the masterpiece that it is today. Um, I think Brian does still have that capability of him in it, but I think that I would almost rather hear original songs of Brian's because then he's uh, uh, he can't rely on sort of pat chord forms, you know, one, four or five. And he may go one, four, five, like those old rock and roll songs often did, but um, it gives him the leeway to do more, you know, um, for lack of a better word, original Sure. stuff i think if he writes the songs and arranges them then yeah. if it, 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 it whereas if he just arranged and produced them then uh i think that he has there's more of a chance of us getting some of that stuff that we all love the, yeah. the like the, the solar systems like a song like that which it could only to me be written by brian <laughs> i listened to a song like solar system or johnny carson you know, and the yeah. things on love, things on love you are yeah. so Brian esque, and I think that the real fans love that side of Brian. Yeah. Well, as as uh, Blondie calls him the maestro, I'm sure he's. I'm sure the maestro's got some type of sleeve, and he's one of the most creative and amazing head scratcher type of persons where you don't know what's what's he gonna <laughs> do next. But he's he's got something. But Proben, I I want to say and. The, to do this to do this interview type of thing for this long it, it means a lot and to take time out of your day as i've said before i appreciate it and it, it, it's been a blast great well i'm happy to be part of it and i'm sure you'll edit out whatever gaffes or stupid things i said <laughs> now what i usually do and you can do if you want if you have nothing that's perfect i let the person my guest plug promote anything that they have or that they can say that they're working on or anything else in the future Oh, thank you. I actually don't have anything. Although with the passing of Nick Walusko, it's sort of put a fire under my butt to get it together to maybe make a solo album at last, which I never have done. Um, I've always been in sort of other people's bands. A couple of times I tried to get bands going of my own, but there were, it never really sailed. And plus the, the, some of the music that is in my head would take a rather large band to perform and I don't have the money to pay them. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe it'll end up being me or, uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, no, there's no particular project upcoming that I um, that I need to plug. But thank you for the offer. Well, of course. Well, for all those out there that enjoyed this wonderful conversation with the wonderful and multi-talented and faceted musician Proben Gregory, do us a favor: subscribe, like, comment, share, follow that grand stuff. So, in years from now, ten years from now, whatever it may be, you look back and say, "Oh my gosh, the episode with Proben Gregory was amazing." means a lot. If you want news and updates regarding the podcast, <laughs> check out on Twitter, Nolan Carr Night on Instagram, Nolan Carr at Night Show. And in the words of Johnny Carson, I bid you a heartfelt good night until we see each other again. <laughs>